There's never a time that God has not been God. There's been times whenever it looked mighty tough for us. Been times whenever things didn't look like they were going our way. But there's never been a time that God has not been God. Look around you this morning, just for a moment. Scan the area where you are. Think of who was here last week that's not here today. I wasn't here last week. I was in North Carolina enjoying a birthday party for a little granddaughter, uh, uh, just having a great time. You know what I missed last Sunday? I miss seeing Jody Morrison on her first Sunday back at Harvest to declare to you that God is still God. He's still in control. Well, there's been times it looked pretty rough, Jody, but God's always had you right there and things have always been in God's control. Amen. Look around you this morning. Look back five years and see who you're missing. Fifteen years. Twenty-five years. Whenever you scan the church and you began to look at, you begin to see who's missing. I came to Harvest, August will be 27 years ago, to work for a short time while senior pastor, a senior adult pastor's wife was passing away. God had his hand on everything that goes on and he controls our steps. He knows, he knows what he's doing. He's always in charge. In the 27 years that I've been here, there have been three of the staff members that I came in and uh, fellowshiped with and did ministry with that are no longer with us. Ovi Sewell, our senior adult pastor. Billy Chalk, our Christian education director. Mark Cash, who was, had already left us, but he was a youth pastor. He has already uh, gone to his reward as well. And so this morning as we begin to look back and you look around you, you see that God is still God and the commission of the church has not changed. Our responsibility as God's children has not changed. And this morning God has personally chosen you and me to run this leg of the marathon at this place and time in 2022, God has chosen you and I as his representatives on planet earth in whatever area of the world that you have been placed in uh, to light the light of the glorious gospel of the Jesus Christ uh, to those who are in sin and those who are living in the darkness of the world. So God is not just allowed us to come in here as a church to sit and listen to beautiful music this morning. A wonderful ministry in Crystal River. You did a great job this morning. I, I appreciate you so much for being here. Uh, not only to come here and fellowship with friends, but God, uh, church is a place where we come to be sent out uh, to do the will of the Father who has called us and who has saved us into his marvelous love. The mission of the church is something that all four Gospels uh, wrote about. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all pinned down uh, the, the, the responsibility and the great commission that Jesus uh, gave to his church. And this is what Matthew wrote, and this is the one that we read so often. It says, 
Uh, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Mark wrote it like this in 16 and 15. He said, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Luke 27, 47, he penned it like this. He said, it's also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, in other words, beginning in your home, beginning in your hometown. Uh, But he said that there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. John wrote it like this in 2021. He said again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As a father has sent me, I send you. He looked at his disciples and he said, I came on a mission I came here with a purpose. I came here as a, with an assignment from God, and I'm hereby assigning you the same assignment uh, that I had to carry it on. And that's what the Great Commission is to you and I this morning. Uh, Jesus, or God, is commissioning each one of us to do the work that Jesus did, and that's to reach a lost world with the glorious gospel uh, that those who repent will be saved. Acts chapter 1 and 8, the history of the early church. Paul wrote, but you have received power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. The church has been given an assignment for God to share the gospel. He said, not only around you. But he said in, in Judea and in Samaria, in other words, for us, that would be throughout America. And he said, not only don't stop there, but he said, reach into all the world. And so today, that's a reason that we support missionaries. And that's a reason we send that message out. And so it reaches around this world. But the modern mentality of the church is that it's become a place of gathering. It's a place we come to. It's a place where we assemble together. It's a place where it's not really important if I come or if I don't come. It's a place we come whenever things are troubled in our lives. It's a place that we uh, are drawn to whenever we're going through difficulties. It's a place where uh, we can just kind of sit back and kind of take it easy as long as things are going easy in our lives. That's a modern mentality of most church attenders today. You say, boy, I wish pastor was here this morning. I know this is an unusual message for me to preach this morning, and it's one that I have more difficulty putting together yesterday and this morning than I've ever struggled with. And it's because it's a message that the devil does not want us to hear today. And that is, we still have a commission. We still have a responsibility. But it's become a place where we like to just assemble together. It's a place about uh, being happy. It's a place about being comfortable. It's a place about being friendly. It's no longer a place that we come into the house of God to be refueled, to be encouraged, to be uh, for our zeal, for our spirit to be moved so that uh, we can go out from here and be what God has called us to be. The vision of a local church directly reflects the attenders of that local church. And you know, I 
have these glasses. Uh, it's because I can't see up close. I told them the other Wednesday night, I used to think that was the coolest thing. Boy, you had a pair of watch a speaker, and he'd get up there, and he'd put them glasses on, and he'd read, and then he'd take them off and hold them and speak, and I'm thinking, that's cool. Man, I want to do that. You ever tried that? That's the most aggravating thing you've ever done in your life. Especially if you've got vertigo like me, whenever you put these on and off, uh, sometimes I'm not weaving in the spirit. I'm just trying to get my balance up here. Amen. Amen. But I want to tell you this morning, you can't reach what you can't see. For you to carry out the great commission of God, you've got to be able to see that commission. You've got to be able to see what you're called to do in order to ever reach that place in your life this morning. But we're not careful a church becomes a place where we become so selfish-minded that all we want to pay attention to is our own selfish desires. Beautiful building. A seat I'm comfortable in. Friends that I like. Music that I enjoy. A message that I like to listen to. We become so blind to what that responsibility is in filling the great commission and we act like we act like it's okay as long as we don't see them how many of you have ever traveled in a place maybe where you hit a road construction and that traffic is backed up just you can't you can't bumper to bumper mickey and i were going to north carolina the other uh, the other the other afternoon and we got stopped in traffic Three lanes was going down to one. You know, these folks beside you didn't want to let you in. And so they get just bumper to bumper so you can't, and nobody wants to look at you. You're over there. If I don't see you, I just won't let you in. I just keep going. But every once in a while, you don't want to arrive with me in traffic. But every once in a while, you just look over the driver and just stare, and finally they'll turn and look at you and, Oh, I didn't see you there. And they'll make room and let you in. But you know what? If you're not careful, you know what you become? You become that driver that's not going to look over to let the next person in because it's more important for me to get that one car length than it is to let somebody else ahead of me. And I want to tell you this morning, that's the way we are so many times in our Christian walk. As long as we don't see it, we're not commissioned to do it. As long as I'm blinded to it, I'm not, I'm not called. Uh, it's not my job as long as I don't see it. But I want to tell you, if you ever make contact with it, if you ever see it this morning it becomes your responsibility to fulfill what God has called us to do and that's to carry out the great commission because I'm going to tell you you'll never reach what you don't see Jesus taught us to see things differently and he taught us to open our eyes of what we come in contact with every day the disciples in John chapter 4 Jesus said, we must needs go through Samaria. You know the story? He sent the disciples off, and they went into the town to buy food. Uh, Jesus was left alone all by himself, and he became thirsty, and he went over, and he sat by Jacob's well. And as he was sitting there by the well, a woman came to draw water. And he looked at the woman, he said, who was a Samaritan woman, and he said, draw me some water. The woman looked at Jesus and said, you're talking to me. 
You a Jew and me a Samaritan, you don't have anything to do with me. We don't have anything in common. In fact, you know the history of the Jews. They hated Samaritans. Their prayer every day was, God, help me to go through this day without having to look at one or not having to meet one or come in contact with them. And so uh, they, they were talking and... Uh, for two reasons, it was very unusual. Number one, Jews didn't like the Samaritans. The second thing was a man didn't speak to a woman in public. For two reasons. Number one, they didn't think it was appropriate for a man to speak to a woman in public. Uh, second of all, the men thought they were so much better than women uh, that they were just uh, so high and mighty that they didn't address them in public in any way whatsoever. And so not only did Jesus see things differently because he had to overcome a racial barrier uh, between the Jews and the Samaritans. Second of all, he had to overcome a gender barrier uh, between a man and a woman to speak to them in public. You know the story, the woman asked the question, why are you talking to me? Why would you speak to me? And they began to carry on that conversation. And he said, give me a drink of water. And she said, uh, you know, Jacob drew, drew water out of this well. And he said, if you knew what water I have, you would ask of me and I would give you water that you would never thirst again. Uh, so as that conversation began to uh, continue there, the disciples returned and, and they saw Jesus sitting by the well talking to the woman. And this is where I want to begin reading this morning out of John chapter 4, verse 27 through verse 25. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. Listen to this next part. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Now whenever you tell a story... You include all the things that happened. But for some reason, in this particular verse of Scripture, the Holy Spirit inspired John to write down some things in this story that never happened. They never took place. The disciples thought, what do you want? And why are you talking to her? But they never asked those questions. They never said those things. They just thought them. And so I read that scripture, I thought, maybe it's because they wish they had. Maybe it's because John wished he had of asked, what do, you, what do you need? You know, Jesus was a rabbi, the disciples were the students, and so the responsibility of the students whenever they returned to the rabbi was to immediately ask him if there's anything he needed. But they didn't do that. The question would have been, why are you talking to that woman? But they didn't ask that question. They never did that. But John put those things down in this passage of Scripture, and I think it's something that we need to pay attention to because then leaving her water pot in verse 28, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Have I found God? This man that told me all things... She said, give me the drink of that water. And Jesus said, well, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, rightfully, you've said you've had five, and the one you're with now is not your husband. So that is true. And so that's the reason she said, hey, I've met somebody that's higher authority. I've met somebody that's, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's high and lifted up that knows everything that I've ever done. Is this God? 
So she went back to the town, and, you know, sometimes we picture that being a long way away, but it, it was a short distance around to the village that she was from. It's where she returned, and uh, that's what she told everybody. Hey, I think I found God. Come, and let's meet this person. And as she did, the Bible says in verse number 30 uh, that they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Jesus looked up and saw the whole town coming to him, coming out to meet him. And you know what the disciples said? Let's go to Cracker Barrel. I'm hungry. They never saw or had any concern about that town uh, that was coming out to hear Jesus. They was concerned about, about bodily things that they needed and that they wanted. They were concerned about eating. You see, this morning, if we're not careful, there's a lot of things we get distracted to that become so important to us, that become so much a part of what we are and, how, and what we use all of our energy and strength to do whenever we leave what God has called us to do completely off. Completely off. I've told you many times, if you're not careful, you can volunteer and work yourself to death in church. And not ever accomplish the Great Commission. Jesus said to Martha one time concerning Mary that Mary did the things that were important. She sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he had to say. It's more important this morning. Listen to me. It's more important this morning for you to come to church and meet God than it is to come to church and enjoy the service. It's more important this morning that you come to the house of God and meet God in the Holy Spirit uh, than it is for you to like anything that goes on in that church service. This morning it's important for us to realize that we're here on commission. We're not here uh, to enjoy everything that goes on and everything doesn't have to fit our eyes. So important this morning that we understand that. Jesus said, hey, I have food that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could somebody have brought him food? And Jesus said, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Then Jesus said something that is the title of my sermon this morning. He said, don't you have a saying, it's four months until harvest? Now, in studying this passage of Scripture right here, I found out that that's more than just a sentence and a verse of Scripture. That was a phrase that they used quite often. If they didn't want to do something today, it was a, it was a phrase of procrastination that they would say, well, it's four more months to harvest. We don't have to do that today. It's later on, we'll worry about that the next day, or the next day, or the next day. But uh, Jesus looked at him and he said, do you see these people? Do you see all of these around you? He said, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus saw things that they did not see. He saw the town while the disciples needed something to eat. It's important this morning that we see what's going on around us. 
He goes on to the scripture, and you know how he, he goes on to declare their real cause. Their real, the real issue was that they had become spiritually nearsighted. You know, in studying this, I, I've only made one trip to an ophthalmologist. I hope to God I don't have to go back again. You know, they do things without telling you. They pump air in your eyes, and then they dilate your eyes. And I was sitting there, and I couldn't see anything. I'm thinking, we're going the wrong direction here. I'm trying to see up close. I can't even see the wall. You know, we're going the wrong direction. And, you know, ophthalmology and, 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 and the eye doctor is the only one that uses a phrase whenever they say, oh, you're nearsighted. That means I can see up close. Most time when they tell you you're nearsighted, you need to work on that nearsightedness. You say, I'm farsighted. That's what I am. I can see things way out under. I can see a golf ball further than I can hit it anymore, but I can still see it. And I can tell where it goes, and I know what woods to go look at whenever I hit it. So I can still see those things, but, you know, I can't see up close. Uh, I used to lay my Bible down on the floor in the morning and sit back and read it off the floor. That's the truth. That's how I, that's how I did. I couldn't see it up close enough to, I got any closer than that. It just goes fuzzy with me. And so I, I had to do that. But uh, they, they, the eye examination is something that we all need to have. We all need to take a close look at where we are. Because I can tell you, I'm guilty of being nearsighted. I'm guilty of being to the point that I see my issues. I see my home. I see my job. I see my problems. I deal so much with things going on close around me sometimes that, uh, that I become distracted about what's around me in the, in the far areas that Jesus wants us to see to carry out the Great Commission. It's very easy for us to become nearsighted and not be concerned about those uh, that we run into or those town folks that are coming out. Are you nearsighted? Are you nearsighted? You say, well, how do I know if I'm nearsighted? Let me ask you a question. If God answered every prayer you pray, would the world around you be better? Or would you be better? That's how you know if you're nearsighted. If God answered every prayer that you pray, would the world around you be better off or would just you be better off? I can tell you there's times that I pray that if God answered all my prayer, I'd be the only one that benefited from it. I'd be the, my small group would be the ones that would benefit because he's, uh, all he's heard out of me was me, 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 my, my, my. Uh, but you know, the, 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 the truth of the matter is this morning that all of us need to stop and take an examination and see where we are. Let's look at it another way this morning. On planet Earth today, there are 7.6 billion people. 7.6 billion people live on planet Earth. 2.4 million say they know God. And if every one of those are true and every one of those would go to heaven if, if God came this morning and all 2.4 million would go to heaven, then that means there's 5.2 million people this morning that would go to hell if Jesus came today. Not even alarming. Not even surprising. You know why? We don't see them. 
And because we don't see them, they're out of sight, out of mind, and it's not something that I have to concern myself with. Because I don't see it, I can't reach that place this morning. Let's look at it a little closer today. In April 27, 2011, I probably don't have to shake your memory to that day. That was when tornadoes tore through Tuscaloosa, Birmingham, all over Alabama, and 239 people died in that tornado on that horrible day. If we stood those 239 people front to back, there, there, and we put them in a line, they would reach almost 80 yards on a football field. Those 239 people, if they were stretched out, would be almost the length of a football field. 239 faces that whenever you walk by, you could see those. And I don't know if any of you were affected by the deaths that happened that day. 9-11-2001, another date that all of us are familiar with. The day that they attacked the World Trade Centers. 2,996 people died that day. If you stood them front to back, they would reach six-tenths of a mile of lives that were destroyed in that horrible, horrible day. And if you drove by, you would see face after face after face. You would be able to see those people. December the 26th, 2004, over in Indonesia, the, the, the big tsunami came through and 250,000 people died. If you put them front to back, they would reach 47 miles. They would reach further than it is from here to my house in Pell City, and then 10 more miles that they would reach, that you would see face after face after face. And so this morning, whenever you begin to picture those things, and you put into perspective what that 5.2 billion people would look like, that it's not saved today, that we have been sent out to reach in the Great Commission. And let me tell you, they're here. They're not way off over yonder, and I don't want to get ahead of myself this morning, but if we saw face after face after face, 5.2 billion people, if you put a line around planet Earth at the equator, they would reach all the way around. Not one time. Not five times. Not 20 times. Not 40 times. Not 80 times. Not 100 times. But 124 times that 500, that 5.2 billion would reach around this earth. People that Satan has in his hands. Who are that 5.2 billion? It's my family. It's your family. It's your friends. It's your neighbors. 
And so whenever we begin to see the Great Commission and we're so overwhelmed, we need to realize that Jesus said, start in your hometown. You've got to be able to see them. You've got to be able to know who they are, to be able to reach them. It's got to be something that burns in your heart. And if it doesn't burn in your heart, you're never going to get up and do anything about it because your eyes are not open to what's going on around you. Three things this morning, and I'll quickly leave them with you. Three things we need to do in order to fulfill and to open our eyes is that we got to open our eyes to where they are. This morning... Most of us would say, well, I'm never going to Africa. I'm never going to the Middle East. I'm never going to South America. I'm never going to the Far East to be a missionary. More than likely, I'm not either. More than likely, I never am either. But I want to tell you this morning, if you're not getting up every morning and asking God, help me today that everywhere I go, everything I do, every, every person that I come in contact with, help me to be sensitive this morning. Uh, help me to know what's going on around me. Help me to open my eyes and see the needs of those people that I come in contact today. And if you can use me in any way whatsoever, I'm here. If I can do anything today that will bless you and bring honor to the kingdom of God, I'm all in today. And if you're not doing that this morning, you're missing one of the greatest blessings in being a child of God. You're missing one of the greatest opportunities. When your eyes are open, the Bible says in Proverbs 16 and 9, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Psalms 37 and 23 says, uh, the steps of a good man are ordered by God. I'm going to tell you, church, we're here on assignment uh, where our lives have been called and been saved and, and given a purpose to use for the kingdom of God. Oh, you may think this morning that I go to a job tomorrow morning it's just a job, but God has you there on assignment. God ordered your steps. God placed you where you are. You might say, well, I, hey, I met a new neighbor this week. It wasn't a coincidence. God has you on assignment. He's placed you where you live. Some of you might say, I found the best vacation place I have ever known, ever been to in my life. Let me tell you, you didn't find it. God ordered your steps, and God is sending you there on divine appointment from God to make a difference in the world wherever you are. It's not coincidence, folks. It is not coincidence. Our eyes need to be open to see those that are around you. Remember this morning, you've got to connect with them before you're ever going to win them. You're going, to, you're going to need to connect with them before you can ever correct them. we got a lot of correctors in the world. we got a lot of correctors in the church world. we want a lot of, we got a lot of folks that tell you what you don't need to be doing and what you need to be doing, but I want to tell you, you better learn to connect with them and build a relationship or else you're never going to be effective in winning them for the cause of Christ. I was... Raised in a church that never talked about the love of God. They always talked about what you'd not do, what you shouldn't do. They always criticized you for what you were doing. 
They're always pointing a finger and it's always looked like they were so much better than I was. And they were always just shaking that finger at me, telling that, oh, you're going to turn or burn. I'm telling you, you're going to turn or burn. Uh, but, you know, uh, it wasn't until I grew up and began to read the word of God and began to study the word of God and began to serve God that I realized God loves me. God wants what's best for me. God wants to bless me. God wants me to have relationship with Him. God wants me to enjoy this life doing what He's called me to do. God has called me to do something that I, uh, that I cherish and that I, that I enjoy doing this morning. And it's not something that I'm competing with somebody else because uh, God didn't call me to be them called. God called me to be me and to do what He's gifted me to do. And I'm content in doing that this morning. I'm happy in doing those things this morning. You've got to be, you've got to remember that you've got to, you've got to see where they are. The second thing this morning uh, that we've got to see is who they are. We're living in a world today where it's easy to be mad at people. We live in a society that wants you to be angry with people. They want you divided. They want one side to hate the other and that side to hate the other side. And, and, and it's continually stewed and built up and stirred up. And I want to tell you, if you want to start somebody fussing and arguing, just mention politics. In any setting, in any surrounding, wherever you go, and you can get a conversation started. And, uh, but Jesus said, if we're going to reach people, we've got to know who they are. Don't let your differences derail you. There's not another person in this house that likes everything I like. Not another person in this house that would eat the foods that I eat. Not very many people in this house that would like very many of the places that I go probably. But you know what? My differences with you does not derail me for the commission that God has called us to do collectively. That God has put us all in. Pastor says many times we're a bunch of bananas. We hang together. That doesn't mean that we all look alike. I bought a bunch of, I bought bunches of bananas and I never found two that even looked alike. They're different sizes. They're different shapes. They have different spots. They all have something that identifies them as being an individual. This morning, there's nothing wrong with being you. Just enjoy being you, but don't let you derail you from being able to work with somebody else sitting beside you until you see who they are Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 in verse 36 when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd when Jesus saw that crowd that didn't believe like he believed that wasn't here on the same commission that he was here on, when he looked at them, it wasn't eyes of contention that meant that, that he was ready to attack them or to pour things out in their lives. It was eyes of compassion that said they need help. They need somebody to love them. They need some way. You know, the, the good Samaritan, you all know the story, he was robbed and thrown down in the ditch. And he was perceived in many different ways. The, 
the robbers perceived him as a person that they could exploit. They took everything they, that he had, they beat him up, threw him in a ditch. The priest came by and looked at him, and he looked like a problem he could avoid. If I don't go down there in there with him, I don't have to deal with him. I'm just going to leave him there, and I'm just going to let him, whatever happened, happen. But when the good Samaritan came by, he looked upon him, and he had compassion on him, and he was a man to love. That's what we better see in the world we're living in today. Too many times we want people to come into church that look like us. We want people to come into church that act like us. But I'm going to tell you, you don't have to be like them to like them. You don't have to be like a person to like them. And to be effective for Christ, you've got to have compassion against the, uh, towards those that you don't agree with. You've got to have compassion to change the world around us this morning. The third thing that we have to look out for is our eyes need to see what they need. What they need. You know, church is basically made up of two groups of people. It's either a truth church or a grace church. I told you a few weeks ago in another sermon that church today has had decades now, at least two decades of being, of hearing messages that God's going to bless you, prosper you, everything's going to go lovely. Uh, you know, you're the head and not the tail. You are the head and not the tail, but I don't mean you ain't going to have problems in the middle. I can tell you that. Uh, this world is going to throw things at you this morning. And so the, the church has been preached all of these little, uh, crowd-drawing messages to the point that uh, we are forgot about what we're put here to do, and that's to see people for what they need. There's a truth side that says, preach it straight to them. Tell them like it is. Stand up here and let the hammer down. Tell them if you're not saved, you're going to hell. Tell them that if, if you don't do what God says in all of your life, you're going to be damned and you're going to uh, die one day and face God unprepared. That's true. Every bit of that's true. It is the truth. I agree with every one of those things. The problems with that church and with that message is they're not reaching anybody. They're not making a difference. And the Grace Church on the other side says, oh, everything's well. You just come in. God's already paid the price for your sins, and everything's good. Jesus loves you. He's going to bless you, and all is well. The problem with that church is they're not making a difference. There's no life change. There's nothing that changes your life. But I want you to listen to what John said in verse 1. He said, open your eyes. John chapter 1 and verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. We don't have that up there. But the last part of this verse says, full of Grace and truth. One pastor put it like this. Truth without grace is just mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. But whenever you put grace with truth, 
You have a medicine that will change the world and it'll change a life and it'll save souls because people will listen to what you say whenever you show them enough grace to appreciate who they are and where they are and what they need. It's important for us to understand that this morning. You say, well, Jesus came and, and he preached the truth. Yes, he did, but he always put grace first. Zacchaeus. Wanted to see Jesus, wanted to find out who he was. And so he came that day early and he climbed up in a tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. Jesus came to the tree where he was and he looked up to Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. Now, Jesus could have said, you sorry low down scandal you've stole from everybody that you've ever come in contact with. You're the sorriest person on earth. You've stole from every one of these individuals around you. But you know what he said to Zacchaeus? Let's go have lunch. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm going to abide at your house today, Zacchaeus. I'm going home with you. Uh, we're going to have lunch. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us about lunch. I wish it did. I'd love to hear that conversation that took place over that lunch table. But, you know, whenever I know the effects of that lunch, because whenever Zacchaeus, when the scripture begins again, what does Zacchaeus say? Hey, I'm going to give back fourfold of everything I've ever taken. I'm going to give it all back. You see, Jesus showed grace and then truth. He didn't let him buy with anything. He did both. And then we see the woman that was caught in adultery. You know the story how uh, that they caught this lady in the act of adultery and they brought him in and they threw her in front of Jesus and, and they thought they had Jesus stumped and they said, well, Jesus, what are you going to do with her? The law says she must die. Jesus began to write in the sand. And as they looked at what he was writing... Let him that is without sin cast the first stone. The crowd began to thin. People began to leave. People began to walk away. And pretty soon Jesus looked at the woman and said, Woman, where are, you, where are thine accusers? And she looked up and she looked around and she said, I have none. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. But he didn't leave it at grace. No. He didn't stop at grace. He didn't say just neither. I'm not going to condemn you either. But he said to her, grace plus truth and said, go and sin no more. You see, that's what changes lives is whenever we show grace and then we tell them the truth. But if you, if you miss out on the grace part, you're never going to have an opportunity to reach that soul for the, for the glory of God. You've got to have grace and you've got to show grace and you've got to tell the, uh, to, to share with them the truth. Come on, Olivia, and help me close this morning. Grace and truth together are very effective tools. Church leaders around this world right now are scrambling. Post-COVID, we're scrambling. We're trying to figure out what tomorrow holds. How are we going to hang on to people? How are we going to reach new people? How can we reach out? 
But I want to tell you, the method really has never changed, people. It's you and I who fill these pews every week, opening our eyes to that great commission that God has called all of us to be a part of, and that is reaching out and sharing God's Word uh, with everybody and doing it in a way uh, to where grace and truth are flowing together, uh, to where we make contact and we show concern. And, you know, I've sat and listened and, and, and uh, so many to so many people share, me their, uh, share with me their problems and the things they're going with. And, and I'm going to tell you, a large portion of the friendships that I have developed with many of you sitting right here. I've known you for a long time, and I've known many of you uh, for many, many years. But uh, the connecting point with me and you was whenever something was going on in your life, and I was just there. I walked into many of your homes when you were going through things of losing loved ones or battling with issues, and I don't mind telling you, I didn't know what in the world to say. I didn't, when I, when I got out of an automobile, I didn't even know what to say. I just know that I was there. And that become our connecting link. And that's where our friendships began. And that's how our friendships have grown through the years. Ministry is all about opening your ears and your eyes to the needs of people that are going that are around you walk across the street to a home that you know something is going on in pick up the telephone and call somebody i had a great big one of my best friends uh, now had a son die a few weeks ago i was at the i actually conducted the funeral and i was at the funeral home during the visitation time and a guy walked up to me, and he said, I had a daughter die years ago. And that man right there, the father of the deceased, he was the first one that pulled up in my driveway. He said, I didn't even know who he was. I knew of him, but I had never really met him. And he said he walked up to me, and he said, anything you need, I'm praying for you. I'm here for you if you need anything out, anything at all, just let me know. And he said from that day on, he said the minute that I heard this news, I knew I was going to be there for him. Let me tell you this morning, the world is crying out. We're just not listening. We're just not seeing. We have become so, and, I, and I'm not beating on you this morning. I'm not doing that at all because I'm as guilty as anybody in this house. It's, it's, it's gone easy for a long time, and uh, it's just become easy for us to do what we do. But God's saying there's some tough times coming. The devil hadn't quit working. The devil's still on the job today, and we need to be on the job also because a lot of people today struggle was seeing God right. The world has a distorted view of God. Much of this world sees God as a locked door that they can't get through. They can't open. They can't make their way to where He is. They can't get there. Many people see God through a different lens. They see them through a garbage can mentality that God doesn't want me with all I've got. 
with all I've done, with all the baggage that I have in my life, God doesn't want me. God, God surely doesn't, can't do anything for me after all I've done. Others see God as a never-ending ladder that you have to work, 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 work. And by the time you think you get there, you realize that the ladder re- is leaning against the wrong wall. And you have to start all over again. But then there's a true picture of God. And that is, it's a free gift. It's a free gift. God said, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here this morning and maybe you're watching online today, maybe you've not fulfilled that commission. Maybe it's become something that we've become so nearsighted in that we have lost vision of those around us and what God has called us to do. This morning, it'd be a great time for us to just open our eyes. Just open our eyes. Somebody was talking to me about church service. He said, did you see so-and-so? And I said, I didn't. I didn't see him. Well, they were there. I need to open my eyes. I need to open my eyes and see those this morning. God is standing ready with a free gift to give you. He's, he's ready to refuel your life. He's ready to save you from your sins. Stand with me this morning. If you need something from God this morning, just pray this simple prayer with me, please. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for paying my sin debts. Thank you for the free gift of salvation. Today I accept this free gift. I ask you to come into my life and to be my Savior. Take control of my life. From this day I'm going to live my life for you. Forgive me. Change me. Come live inside of me. And I'll serve you. I'll be whatever you want me to be. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give God praise this morning? Amen.